0: Hey guys, welcome to the New York Film Academy Hour. Today we have special guest, the Chair of Community Outreach for the New York Film Academy in Los Angeles. Mason Richards is here today to talk about his film career, his favorite movies, and his approach to filmmaking. So stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. Hey guys, I'm Joelle Smith. Uh, My co-host Pega is... Once again, doing f- amazing things with her husband. I'm not jealous or angry, uh, especially not today, because look at this guy across the <laughs> table from me. Mason, y'all don't know this, but Mason and I sit right next to each other in the office, so this is super <laughs> exciting to have him in here talking to me about his film career. We're always talking about, about community stuff and social media and that fun stuff, but I never get to hear about your, your film career.
1: Right, yeah. right. So, and it's interesting, like that's why I'm, you know, there at New York Film Academy. Yeah. It's because of film. But I love <laughs> the outreach, the community outreach is really important to me as well. He's really good with people, y'all.
0: <laughs> um, well, we always start with the same question. And our question is When did you first know you were in love with movies?
1: When did I first know I was in love with movies? Yeah. Well, it wasn't, sort of, it wasn't immediate, okay, right? Yeah. It was a gradual process. Um, I started out when I was very young um, in theater. I was part of a, a theater company in New York City called the City Kids Repertory Company. And it was a, uh, a theater company in Tribeca that was um, about arts education. So it was for young people, by young people. And we basically workshopped um, issues that were important to us, like peer pressure, drug abuse, wow. all that stuff. And then we would write theater pieces and then perform them all over the city. That's incredible. Um, so I started out, yeah, it was pretty amazing. I started out um, pretty much acting and doing theater and musical theater and um, and I got into doing stuff off Broadway, etc. And film came later.
0: <laughs> okay, but talk about it. Like, when when does this film? Because I feel like either you're a Steven Spielberg who walked out of the womb, like I'm gonna be a director, or you're like a um, oh my gosh girlfriend who directed uh, um, Mississippi Masala. Um, why can't I think of her name?
1: Oh, um, I'm, I'm spacing on her, her name too, because Y'all should because know her. Article, article,
0: yes. She's great, but she t- yes. she frequently Mira Nair. Mira Nair frequently exactly. talks right. about right. how it, she came to film so much later. She's a graduate at Harvard before right. she turns to film, and I, right. I find that process so interesting. Of when do people find film in their career? So when when does it happen for
1: you? Well, I think it, I think filmmaking is um, an accumulation of a lot of things. And I think you have to, it's about storytelling, and I think you have to have stories to tell in order to make films. Um, so you know, it, it for me it was a gradual process after. Um, doing theater in New York as a kid. Um, I went to college. I went to Vanderbilt University in Nashville. And I studied, not film, but I studied um, human and organizational development, which is like social psychology. Yeah. Um, and I also double majored in English. So I studied the classics, you know, Shakespeare, the romantics, poets, mm-hmm. poetry, um, and all that stuff. So I was, I was learning and, um, how to work with people and how to understand human behavior. And I was also... Learning about the uh, about literature and writing and storytelling. So while I was at Vanderbilt, I got the bug to direct my first play. Yeah. My freshman year, um, and um, so we got together. Some a few students got together and we directed um, the very well-known play uh, for colored girls who've considered suicide when yes. the rainbow is an office if you not haven't
0: saying so good
1: and to Jackie Shange so if you if you haven't read this play or, or seen it it's an amazing piece it's all about empowerment of women um, and, and uh, it's a core poem so like uh, um, stories about women um, and their struggles and this was done back in the 60s it was, mm-hmm. so I directed this piece my freshman year at Vanderbilt incredible and it was great. And so it was the first time I was on the other side of the stage, sort of telling the actors what to do. <laughs> and I, that's when I caught the bug, I think. That's when I realized, you know what, I think I like being on the other side and um, and working with the actors as opposed to being one of the actors.
0: Does it matter to you now, theater play, uh, whether it's on stage play or if it's filmed, or do you have a preference? Are you still directing stage plays or are you solidly in celluloid now?
1: I am all film right now but I'm I, I fantasize about um, directing <laughs> directing a play I love I love just the live energy of being in a theater space because um, everything is in real time um, and I love working with theater actors because it's a different process you go through when, you, when you're doing something um, in real time um, on the stage so I, I I miss that process yeah but um, I think the same the same sort of skill set as a director you need for for film you need it for, it's from theater is the same thing you know understanding moments that are happening on, with with, with, the, with the overall story mm-hmm. and then understanding moments that are happening with the characters and beats. It's all the same. It's just a mechanism that's a little different.
0: Yeah, I uh, was like an under- I was shadowing Dmitry Moore when he was doing uh, Trouble in Mind in Chicago and he, it was interesting to me because I had studied, he Taught a directing course, um, and that's where I met him. And I learned all this stuff about film, and we're talking about like framing and stuff, and how to make sure actors are in the moment, right there on set, and creating an atmosphere in which them to work. Whereas when we're doing the play, he's like, just faster, faster, faster. <laughs> there's a time, there are deadlines, and it was so much more about making sure the actors, because it, the repetition of it, it just started just dragging everybody down. So I was trying to keep it fresh, as opposed to trying to be in the moment. And I just found that really interesting as yes. having having to have both sets as a director to be able to do both sometimes at the same time.
1: Yeah, and the fundamental that's a good story. I'm glad you told, said that because the fundamental um, difference about with with theater and film is sort of like the rehearsal process and the actual, you know, performance. Yeah. So in, in theater, you need a lot more time to rehearse and get it right, repetition, and you know your marks, mm-hmm. right? And and so when it happens live, it's, it's happening in the moment, but you have to know your marks. In film, you don't rehearse as much. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of, you know, talk to the actor, and you, you talk about the backstory, and you talk about the world of the film and the life of the character um, and the given circumstances, all those things, and then you wait for sort of film magic they call it you know so when when you when you say action you want it to kind of be organic and real because the camera is so intimate and so Mm. in your face you want the actor to kind of really be there in the moment so they're two very different processes but i I, and i love them both you know i love them both
0: absolutely (laughs) uh it's it's fun to work through both of them i want to go back a little bit so you're you're a kid you're growing up in new york you're writing and producing your own plays and you're like workshopping them and sending them around which is incredible work ethic for me to have, like, to imagine like Little Mason like yeah guys we can do it <laughs> Little Mason um, but then you moved to Tennessee mm-hmm. what, what, was there culture shock in going from one to the other had you split your time before or were you or was it just like holy cow where am I
1: was there culture shock yes <laughs>
0: <laughs> big time, because I grew up
1: in Brooklyn. You know, I, yeah. I, I was born in South America. My family immigrated to to Brooklyn, to Bed Stuy, Brooklyn, um, old school Brooklyn back in the day. You know, it still gentrified a little bit now. Um, and um, so I grew up in in New York. I grew up as a New Yorker, and um, I, w- I heard about this amazing scholarship to Vanderbilt University, um, and so I went for it—a full academic scholarship, merit wow. leadership scholarship—and I won it. Um, so it was a big moment for for for, for me and my family to be, you know, the first to go to college, wow. and nonetheless, a school like Vanderbilt. Um, and so I did experience culture shock, because when I first got there, um, it was just, a, it's the South, it's a different place, it's the Bible mm-hmm. Belt, right? Um, and, you know, the way people sort of navigate around race and identity is a little different. Um, but I, I, I enjoyed my time there. I felt like the campus was very opening, open in terms of um, the administration, in terms of, Um, Diversity of the student body, um, and and having conversations and being inclusive, Um, there were some issues with some students. You know, we had to have conversations. Yeah, Yeah. because people, it's interesting when you go to a campus where you people have different um, backgrounds and experiences, you just Mm -hmm. have questions. Sure, and you don't know. So I think there's a lot of people wondering, like, who are you? Where are you from? Why are you here? Figuring people out, what's (laughs)
0: happening? What's your backstory? Absolutely, it's interesting so I went through the same kind of culture shock but at a much younger age I was born just outside of Chicago mm-hmm. but when I was five we moved to Ottawa, Illinois which is the corn. <laughs> like my backyard is essentially a state park. Um, <laughs> and... I know that it greatly affected my art and how I approached the world. Like, the lenses through which I approached the world were affected by that mm-hmm. change at a young age. It happened to you a little bit later, but I'm curious, did it affect your art? I mean, the first thing you put up was for Color Girls in the Bible Belt. So
1: yes. And actually, when we did the for Color Girls at, at Vanderbilt, there was it was all over Nashville because it was the first ever African-American play in the history of the, of the university at Vanderbilt. And, wow. um, and in Nashville, I don't think it, it was played there. So the Nashville Banner, the Tennessean, they did stories on me and us you know, coming from New York and doing this. I and I know. think to answer your question, when you're in a space where you feel like your voice is limited, mm-hmm. you, are, you sort of go into a space of trying to speak up louder. So I think when I was a freshman at Vanderbilt, I was a little bit militant. A little bit like, you know, <laughs> what about women? What about black rights? You know? Yeah, And absolutely. I think most students, you know, like we, we know the show Dear White People that's on right now. Yeah. When you're in a college campus environment, you are, everything is just sort of like enhanced. So I was very much into like showing uh, my culture. You know, we had
0: Todd Lee on the show uh, last week and ah, cool. yeah, he's, you know, he, he did his film with Industry Lab and he's. You know, saying the same things of, you know, being openly queer and coming from uh, the Asian community and, and trying to bridge those gaps between history. And I feel like, I mean, if not in college, when do you do those things? Because exactly. later you start to realize, like, I need a paycheck. I got to, like, reform <laughs> a little bit. I got to figure out when can I say these Now that your belief systems change, but just how you deliver those messages Absolutely. has to, to adjust to, you know, again, money. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I also wanted to talk to you about. Well, hmm, where should we go from here? So, okay, let's talk about making that move from being on the stage to going behind the scenes. So, I feel like as an actor, there's a lot of, okay, how do I make sure that I fit into this role and give... My partner's what they need on right. stage, and it's kind of a, a very solo project, and then a team effort, and then back solo, and then. But we're when you're a director, it's all team. It's it's always reaching, and and it's not just what can I do. It's how do I make sure everyone is getting to the same end goal. What was that transition like?
1: Um, it was, it was definitely a learning moment because um, I think that like you're right. Like I think as an actor, you're more concerned about your role and, and what you're doing, and your intention, and as a director, you are in charge of the entire vision of the piece of the film or whatever the show is. Um, so you have to wear a different hat. Mm -hmm. You have to be a caretaker. You have to be a leader. You have to be, um, a nurturer. You have to be a great listener. Um, and you have to think about everyone from the the star of your film or the star of your play to craft services to, you know, everything. So, um, I think it, it was definitely a learning curve to, to kind of, Realize what skills I needed to be a director, and it didn't happen right away. I think after I directed for Color Girls, girls, and I did some other plays at Vanderbilt. When I graduated, I wanted to learn more about the business industry, and learn, and so I, I you know, I worked corporately. I worked in at, at CBS News in New York, um, and general journal, some journalism um, and marketing to kind of figure out the leadership part. Because
0: hadn't worked enough jobs yet. Because I didn't like, work enough. i still figuring it out. <laughs> and and my, parents were,
1: my parents were like, wait, you went to Vanderbilt. You should become a lawyer or a doctor. Mm-hmm. Why do you want to be a filmmaker? Why do you want to be an artist? <laughs> I'm sure a lot of students can relate to that. I certainly can. can right? It's because it's, you know, so I, so I actually, it, it, I, I worked corporately. I worked in the industry, you know, at, at CBS and, Par- and Paramount for a little bit to kind of learn the business and learn, develop my skills as a leader. Um, and then I left those jobs, waited tables in LA, and then decided to go to film school and you know focus on my craft um, as a filmmaker. So it was like a process mm-hmm. you know, and, and over years to kind of be where I'm at right now.
0: So I know you, when you started wanting to tell stories, uh, you started with women and people of color and queer communities, all that's handled in for color girls. When you moved to film, what were the first kind of stories that you were telling? Are you on the same path? Were you? What were you kind of exploring as you entered the, the film industry?
1: That's a great question. Let me think back. You know, <laughs> I think it was the same. You know, I think you always uh, you, you you. I think as a filmmaker, as an art, artist, we, I think we do our best work when we're honest and truthful about our own experiences and the experiences and the communities we're from. Right. I just grew up in that space with arts education and you know identity and and letting the world know who you are that kind of thing and exploring who you are so a lot of my first films um when i went to grad school at cal arts i i focused on identity about characters trying to find themselves mm-hmm. um characters who um were um, exploring new realities um, characters ex- exploring their identity things like that so i, I wasn't as concerned about the technical aspects of filmmaking when I was in grad school but I was more concerned with um, what messages Mm. do I want to share with the world what stories do I think are important to tell the world
0: see and I've always viewed myself as a storyteller too and I know that caused a lot of issues at my film school which is very practical hands on film school where they were like, okay, it's really great that you have crafted these beautiful characters. Um, do you know like what camera you're using? And well, and like, I, and I was like, I don't care about any of those things. Right, right. I like as long as my DP knows what they're doing. I felt like I was good. Now I later learned why you need to learn all of these things. Yes. That having a well-rounded education helps you make smarter decisions in the moment. But I'm curious as to how you manage that as you're moving into the technical aspects of filming. Whereas on stage, you know you do need to know lights and you need to know technical right. positions and things. There's aspects of it, but right. film is an entirely different beast.
1: Right. Well, don't get me wrong. Like, we had very intensive, I was in a master's program, MFA program, in very intensive um, classes on film. I learned to shoot on 35 millimeter cut film with razor blade Same. on the flatbed. And I, you know, and I learned sound. I mean, all the full production. Mm-hmm. But I think the focus, you know, was a bit different about in in terms of um, m- me developing myself as an mm-hmm. artist and the voice I want to I want to have as an artist. And I think it's it's important as a filmmaker to have both. You need to have that double consciousness where you are very much aware of the technology because it's rapidly changing and and knowing you know how you want to show your t- tell your story, what style, you know, um, the technical stuff is really important, but it's also important to know that part. So finding a way to connect those two is really important. And I think that it's important for if you're a filmmaker if you love film, to figure out what you're best at, mm. it's really important to figure out what do I, what am I best at, and how can I really cultivate that in a school environment? Some yeah. people are amazing in, in sound. Some people are amazing in production design, mm. right? Some people are amazing um, in in, uh, in cinematography. But you have to find that. And I think if we all gravitate towards directing and it seems fun, it's, like, it's glamorous, you know.
0: I, mean, I can remember going to school and they are being like, okay, so guys, if you have any desire to do sound, buy some sound equipment and get started. You will be the first ones to have jobs. And damn it if they weren't correct.
1: Yep. Every sound person
0: I know hired instantly. Yep. If you have a basic sound kit and the abilities to get a clean recording, you're instantly employable and... Uh, and a lot of those guys go on to have all kinds of careers just yes. because they were there first. Well, um, that's
1: real talk. Yeah, that's totally. real talk. Yes,
0: it's it's absolutely real talk. Uh, um, I don't I don't begrudge anyone who is again like me, and I'm just like I just I just want to work with the actors and like then right. I go talk to my T P and I'm like, is that sh- oh, I like that framing? Okay, right. good. And then I'm good to go. Like, <laughs> did production design show up? Great. Exactly. Um, but I, I I am really <sighs> intrigued at your process of making films. Mm-hmm. So. Are you writing your scripts, or are you mostly working off of other people's?
1: I'm I'm a writer director, and I and I and I proudly say that you know that hyphen writer director because I, I write all of my work. Um, I, I you know you know as an English major and as a writer and I, I it's just natural for me to sort of write the stories. Um, I have directed films that scripts that were given to me, mm-hmm. but I you know I, I, I that that's my thing. Like I I, I like the process of having an idea, and then developing that into a script, right? And then seeing it through, through, you know, pre-production, production, production and post, and then, you know, sharing it with the world. So I write all of my, all of my stuff.
0: Yeah, I have a lot of (laughs) auteurs in here. Just people who are like, yeah, you know, start to finish. Like, I want, I know what I want, and I know what I'm going after. Um, And I feel like that's half the struggle of being a director, Mm -hmm. is just having the, not just the thought, but the confidence in the thought to make sure that it gets seen through to its fruition. Let's talk a little bit about your artistic style. Who inspires you artist- like cinematically?
1: That's a tough question, Joelle. <laughs> it, and you know, I've, I'm sure I'm not the first director to say It's challenging when you ask a director who's the favorite, who's the influence you influence because there's so many. Yeah. I'm influenced by so many filmmakers. Um, but right off the top of my head, right now in this moment with you, Um, Terrence Malick is one of my favorites Mm. Um, Media Tree of Life and a a bunch of other films Um, and the reason why I say him because he is uh, he is an amazing visual storyteller and he's an amazing collaborator that works well with cinematography to tell a story like all of his films you're sort of um, in the character and in the world of the film Mm. right and he does that by the choices he makes in terms of the camera lenses the movement and his relationship with the cinematographer. Yeah, if
0: you guys haven't seen a Terrence Malick film, um, yes. anytime you've seen like Wheatfield where the sun is catching <laughs> the rays on the wheat and the camera's kind of swaying there, that's Terrence Malick who began Malick. that.
1: Yeah, he's brilliant. And so, and I also love, um, I love international filmmakers. Like I'm yeah. influenced by um, an Indian filmmaker actually from the 50s, um, Satyajit Ray. He did um, these films called the Apu Trilogy. Um, and it's sort of a film shot in his village. Um, and it's just the, the simplicity and just the, the simple craftsmanship of just the shot composition and the depth of the stories. I love his work. I also love um, um, Abbas Kibrastami, who's an Iranian filmmaker, who, if you don't know who that is, got to check him out. He did an amazing film called Where's My Friend's Home that's shot in, in Iran. Um, and it, it, it was a film that it told a story about this little boy trying to find his, um, his friend's house to get his homework, right? Yeah. But within that... The, Abbas Kiarostami was able to craft this world of Iran that I could have never even imagined, and shared his 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 town with us in his uh, in the style of the way it was shot, and it's just brilliant, just brilliant filmmaking. Um, so yeah, those those are my top two, and I also love um, um, Juan Carl Y and a bunch of international. I
0: don't know why, but I wanted to say Pedro Almodovar <laughs> would be oh, in there yeah, of course. for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we
1: can keep going. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. just his, his bright colors and he kind of has an unflinchingness mm-hmm. that I, I'd agree with you um, why okay do you I called you an entrepreneur a little bit earlier because you you seem to have a, a strong sense of what you want out of the film start to finish your hands on do you consider yourself an or do you buy into the theory
1: yes I, could, yeah. I mean I, I consider myself an artist like I, when people ask me who I am I say I'm an artist because I from, since I remember I was always creating things mm-hmm. you know um, I, and so I, I like to create and write, and and I see things. You know, I I, see, I have a the, the artistic eye where I see things in color, and I hear music, and I think yeah. it's all connected. And so I'm an artist. Um, you know, I was telling someone recently when I was in New York, um, for the show opening, um, that I wanted to when I was uh, in the sixth grade, I wrote you have to you know, after when you graduated you you wrote what you wanted to be Yeah, and I wrote I wanted to be a photographer mm-hmm. and a journalist like b- two, wow. both of those right and it's interesting like so full circle so image and story
0: just constantly yeah. there with you that's Kind of amazing. What kind of journalist did you want to be? Did you know? Had you thought that far into it? Or were you just like, I just want to be a reporter?
1: I didn't know. I just want to be a reporter. It just, okay, seemed fun. Yeah, yeah. it just seemed fun. Like they were able to travel places and had a camera. They always seem cool, you know. Definitely.
0: So. Now, journalists <laughs> always seem like they have it together. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your latest project?
1: Ah, the latest project. Okay. Um, well, I'm um, working on a, the feature version of my short film, The Seawall, um, which was, um, it's sort of. In in a way this has turned into like my opus in a weird way. it's <laughs> it's like the story you gotta tell. So yeah. the Seawall was is a short film that I made at CalArt is my thesis film. Okay. Um it's a story about a a boy who gets a visa to move away from his home country, mm-hmm. um, in Guyana, South America, to go to America to be with his mom. So he lives with his grandmother, so the is about this grandmother and his grandson dealing with the separation as he prepares to go off to his new life oh in America. Yeah, so uh, it's a nine-minute short um, that um, is sort of autobiographical in a lot of ways. I was born in Guyana in South America, um, and my family immigrated to New York when I was seven years old. Um, and so the story sort of looks at that. Um, and and th- this is the one that's on exhibit currently in New York yeah, City.
0: definitely. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, like, why now tell the story? I mean, you, you did it, the short, um, while you are still in school, and now you're expanding into a feature. What's kind of driving that?
1: Um, I think the reception of it. So I've completed the short um, uh, in 2010, um, and it was in in many film festivals. It premiered in the Cannes Film Festival in France. It played in the Havana Film Festival in Cuba. So I was there, and Cuba's amazing. It played all over Europe, in London, um, and all over the Caribbean, uh, the Bahamas, um, the Island House, and a bunch of places. And I kept getting people who wanted to have this conversation about immigration um, and about identity? Because you know, the subject matter of the film is about leaving your your birth country and going to, to another place for a better life, and what what it does to families as they separate. and And I think I, 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 it's something that's unresolved with me. I still feel like I was uprooted from my country, you know, to to America. As amazing as America is, yeah. I still f- feel like. Um, Th- they are th- there's something missing back there with me, um, and so the reception of the seawall, the short was so great that we decided um, to work on the feature. So I spent past few years work finishing the 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 feature screenplay. Finally, I should get, <laughs> I should get an award for that. <laughs> <I'm> st- <laughs> And we're in pre-production right now. So I have an amazing team and amazing executive producers. Um, and we're um, finalizing our, our cinematographer. And we're going to go back to Guyana to shoot. Um, and the story's bigger. I realized after making a nine-minute short film that I wanted to show, show more about the country and, and expand a little more. So I, I, um, you know, the story's now about the adult character going back to his home country to find him his identity and self and, and ultimately his father. So it's a film about fatherhood um, and um, coming into one's own. So.
0: so let's dig into that. So when you start, it's uh, a kid and his grandmother and he's got the visa and they're kind of dealing with about how they're about to be separated but also about how they're about to take on this new kind of challenge and this new life which is really exciting. Yeah. How do you then... Is that the, the intro for the feature? Or are did you kind of just like look these are the inspirations it's semi-autobiographical and I'm just going to start from scratch but keep those same core ideas
1: um, it's actually the same title the same name and it's and part of the short is in the feature so I basically expanded the story okay. so if you think about it like I made this short because um, I left Guyana when I was seven and I didn't go back until I was in grad school in film wow. school I went back for the first time um, 20 plus years later and I was shocked I was shocked because I the memories that I had as a kid, the, the visuals, vis, visuals I had as the country it was completely different. And then when I got there, I stayed at my grandmother's house, the house I was born in, I grew up in, and memories start to come back and images and stories. So I was inspired to write that story um, and And so with the feature, it's sort of like you know you have like an, I have this unresolved story that I need to tell and share with the world. But the thing that's important for me is that I take my time to do it properly. You know, um, so that's where we're at. Um, uh, following the the older character um, and going back uh, home. That's
0: amazing. No, you totally. Uh, what was different? You said you said when you went back, the it was different than what your memories had held. What had changed, or what was different, or what were you misremembering?
1: Well. I- you know, as a kid, our memory—you know—we see the world as a beautiful, fantastic yeah. place, right? You, we we take time to notice the colors and like the birds and flowers and you know, beauty and water and swimming and fun things, right? And I and I remember my childhood in Guyana being very magical, like going along the seawall, you know, and and which is right off the Atlantic Ocean. It's a beautiful man-made structure, and 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 just you know, Guyana is part of the Amazon. Um, and just being in, in nature and I, I just remember all of that and moving to New York it was a harsh reality it was like mm. you're in Brooklyn it's for winter you have to get a coat you know <laughs> i <laughs> and, like it's winter it's winter
0: <laughs> which if you've survived one of those you know exactly what he's right. talking about <laughs> exactly
1: um, so what was different is that I went back as an adult and I realized how underdeveloped the country was mm. and how you know um, the, the resources were gone and a lot of places were run down and Um, A lot of people had left the country. Guyana became independent um, in 1966 um, from Britain. It was a British colony. And then a lot of the educated class and just a lot of people just fled the country. So um, when you go back now, it just kind of, it looked, when I went back then, it looked empty and abandoned a little bit. There are actually more Guyanese people living outside of the country than in the country. It's a population of about 750,000 people. Who mixed a mixed race, who are Afro-Guyanese with African heritage, like me, who had look look black, and then a large part of the population in Guyana is Indian from India.
0: Wow, And people
1: don't know this. About fifty-three percent of the population from India. So after you know slavery was abolished in Guyana, um, indentured servants were brought in from India, of from course. New Delhi, wow. mainly women, um, and so the culture, the Guyanese culture, is this hybrid of. India and Africa and we have Amerindian like na- native people and the Chinese culture and wow. um, Dutch and Portuguese It's this beautiful uh, tapestry um, and so going back it, I, it, it was it was a, it, I saw it differently and I remember my best friend growing up across the street from me um, was Indian and I just didn't know I didn't even think about it Right. right we were just really was. friends yeah. and so in the feature film of the seawall I'm getting more into that showing that history that connection with India, Gain is referred to sometimes a little as little India, because you know the culture. And I grew up eating curries and you know, and it's so it's a really beautiful place. And so the feature is just me spending more time, spending more time w- w- um, with with that story um, and and being an auteur, and sharing more of that. With this everybody. sounds
0: fascinating. I love learning about other cultures, and I know like next to squat about Guyanese culture, so I'm really excited to <laughs> watch the film. Note seriously, because I feel like this is the best way to inform a mass public about a place is to have someone from that space tell their stories. And I know you have this incredible run of, like, I mean, you're a community art director, but you also are actively engaging in, in social and political activism, like, frequently. I know one of the things you do is look at the young storytellers and encouraging um, kids from all different kinds of neighborhoods, especially kids who maybe wouldn't have access to the tools in order to tell their own stories, to do that. And I'm curious as to what, Jovi, this is before you come to NIfa you're right. already engaged in these activities. So what brings you to community service?
1: Well, I believe that, I believe that service is very important. Community service is very important. Um, and I, more importantly, believe that arts um, education is important in giving back. And I think um, when you have young people that don't have access to resources mm. um, to tell their story. I think that's a problem. I think that it's a problem when arts education funding is being cut um, in this country. Mm. Um, it's a problem when um, schools don't have um, computers for kids, um, and you know. So I think it's important. That, you know, the arts is one way for um, those communities to share their stories and experiences I mean um, to if we are to be a more inclusive country so I've done and, and even and, and that's from like we started this conversation talking about me growing up and doing theater I I was a benefit of that like I had mentors you know growing up Isaiah Washington the actor was one of my what? mentors in City Kids um, you know and, and uh, uh, Jamal Joseph um, who wow. is a Columbia University former Black Panther I was 12 years old 13, 14 around these people who were Giving of their time to me to encourage me um, to be examples, you know, of, of what you can do with the art. So the work I do with New York Film Academy and community outreach, and the work I do with Young Storytellers Foundation, um, even with BAFTA and all the you know the great organizations and Hands for Hope LA, um, I, I it's about me giving back of myself um, and me um, uh, and us sort of creating a space for those young people to have the the similar opportunities that I had, you know, to, to become an artist, because I think it's not encouraged or promote as promote as much from certain communities to um, pursue Korean arts because it can be expensive. So yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, and then there's always this large looming myth, especially over poor families, um, like mine. Where my parents were like, "Okay, but how are you gonna get a job? <laughs> like, we we don't yeah. care what you do really, but there's you're never gonna work as an artist." And I had to work really hard to prove to them, like. There are thousands of jobs out here that fall under arts. Yes. They are not all glamorous, and they are not all uh, going to pay you incredibly well. But you can right. ink out a living if you hustle. Um,
1: and you're doing it, Joelle. You're in yes, <laughs> living and, and, and
0: that life. You know, what I,
1: you know what I tell students as well too is that is that you live it. You, is, is that um, you, in the arts? It's it's also about finding a community of mm. artists, right? And it's also about finding your tribe yes. if you're a storyteller you're a, you're a creative person you you like films you like photography you like sculpting you like animation find your tribe find your people find your community and uh, you know it's it's a place it, mm. it, you know there are many jobs in there um, and you find you know you find your place and, and I think it's important for young people to know they have access access to that
0: absolutely <laughs> so let's talk about access to your latest film the seawall where is this? playing it,
1: Okay, great. So the Seawall short film, mm-hmm. it's um, I'm so excited about this, Darrell. Um I was just in New York last week. Um, there's a, a, an amazing new museum in Harlem. Yes. Harlem, USA, on the east side. <laughs> um, it's called the Caribbean Cultural Center African Diaspora Institute. Yes. Um, the CCCADI, CCC-ADI. right? So it's Caribbean culture and African culture all in one place. It used to be an old Firehouse (gasps) that they converted. You know New York is. You know it's
0: lovely. (laughs) That old churches and old firehouses always make the best apartments.
1: And it's a great, just a great showcase
0: space. Yes.
1: Yeah. So the old firehouse converted into uh, an art gallery. There's a couple stories, and um, there's an amazing curator. Her name is Grace Ali, who's also Guyanese um, woman um, who curated this amazing piece. So there's 16 artists, uh, painters, um, Guyanese painters. Um, textile artists um, photographers and sculptors oh, on this exhibit wow. so if you go down there to the uh, the museum you can really check out some interesting art that sort of tells the story of uh, our experiences in Guyana and also in America um, so my film is the only film the Seawall is the only f- film installation there so once you go in um, you can sit down and watch uh, the 9 minute uh, short that's amazing uh, yeah. so it's running, it's important it's running um, until October October 26th, okay. so if you're in New York City, go to the museum and spend an afternoon in Harlem, USA, yes. and check out the the exhibit.
0: Historic Harlem is beautiful, um, and there's always great things just to kind of see on the street yes. before you even get to your destinations. Um, curious, did you sit through a screen? Okay, well, first of all, okay. Several <laughs> questions. One, uh, do they play the movie on a loop or is it? I freaking love that. I love going because I love not knowing when I'm coming into a movie and then trying Ooh. to figure out where the beginning is. That's I did that. There was one, um, the Art Institute of Chicago had a, mm-hmm. they built up a new modern wing in their museum and they had a video called Broken Glass that's about 23 minutes okay. of just glass breaking. Wow! Yeah, it becomes overwhelming at some point, especially because it's just a dark room. Mm-hmm. You just walk in and out, and it just plays on a loop. It never stops, it never ends. You have no idea where you are in, in the time of the movie, in the narrative, and so you're left to kind of piece it out and put it together yourself. Yeah. I, I just like the idea a lot of coming in. So you watched the film. Uh, did you get to watch it with an audience? And if so, what is that experience like?
1: I did, and it's always good to watch the film. But from Yeah, it's always good to watch the film with an audience because I get to... Feel the energy and feel the moments where you know they're connecting or not. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting when the, the seawall, the same short that's playing at the museum, when it was it played in the Havana Film Festival a couple years ago. I was actually there, and I translated the film into into Spanish, uh, Spanish subtitles, and it's called the seawall. And in in Cuba, in Havana, they have a seawall, which is a man-made structure that yeah. prevents the country from flooding, and it's you know it, it's on the coast. Um, they, in, in Cuba in Havana they call it El Malicon so they knew Seawall so there was a line around the block to watch my little film in Havana wow. people wanted to see um, this story about a Seawall in a different country in South America and I, I sat in, in in the screenings and just even though the language was different it was English and Spanish um, subtitles just seeing the connection like people were able to connect to the story um, and it, it it just it just made me feel like um, great like like this is it, it's valuable and um, I need to do more and share you know more of the story yeah. because people are connecting with it so much. Um, so it's yeah. cool
0: to see films be global in their reach. I feel like mm-hmm. um, not to disparage streaming or Netflix or anything; these these are great uh, tools that give easy access to a ton of material. But I mean to me watching film is a lot of it the value is, is sitting in a room with other people and yes. having a shared experience in in these projected images um, so it's really cool that you got to screen in Havana
1: yeah that was amazing and
0: then now in Harlem what's the difference like between those two audiences
1: um you know what there wasn't much difference because you know because the people that came I stayed there in, in Harlem last week I stayed and spoke to people afterwards and Joelle like I, I kid you not people were coming up and they were saying oh the film is great the film mm-hmm. is good you know I was like thank mm-hmm. you thank you, you know, but what they more importantly what they wanted to talk about was their story oh. they wanted to share with me and say hey I can relate to that character because my family left or this person you know left, or I left you know a woman um, someone in New York told me last week that um, th- their family when they immigrated to the US from Guyana it was by night, they were so young. The family said, "Okay, tomorrow we're leaving." So you, there's no preparation time, and I found out like that's very common in in migration and in immigration, and that's what the, the exhibit looks at. You know, like there's like a an uproot and a décollage of you have to <laughs> remove from one place and something happens with you. So people yeah. wanted you know to come up to me and tell me their story about leaving, how they had to leave Guyana or. Or They never went back, which is very common and, and why they want to go back. And so I think um, I think that's important that's always important as a filmmaker to be able to, to understand what the connection is with the, the audience and your story. And it really made me feel like you know this is a, a universal story and people can relate to it, which is even more energy that i'm pushing into the the feature
0: did you feel a change in yourself at all after completing the short because i mean that's a lot of kind of emotional baggage to unpack into a film and i'm curious if you were like if you felt you got something out that was really important or if you discovered anything about yourself through that process
1: well, that's a great question
0: <laughs> and i was just
1: i was just talking i was just talking to someone about this at the day. I had a meeting with the producer because I'm trying to get the, we're trying to get a, some additional funding for the feature. Sure. So it's talking about the film and the producer asked me that same question. And from the gut, from the real place, I said, you know, um, I believe that the arts is di- didactic. Like, it's it's dyadic. It's it's between two people. You know, it, it's, it's about the artist um, telling a story and working through something for themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? But it's also for to share something with an audience and I think um with the short I I was in grad school I went to tell a story I went to go back home explore my my history my identity and my family story and I feel like I got that work done like I've I've found a lot I answered a lot of questions about um some unanswered questions about my childhood growing up and my father and you know all that stuff um and you know what it meant to leave my country and and, and then even working on the feature screenplay, um, Joelle, I realized that I was able to work through a lot of those issues um, and understand my my family, my father, my mother, and, and the sacrifice they made for us. I was able to understand my grandfather's journey and understand the, and the journeys of my ancestors and, and just researching all of that. And then it became a point where I was like, okay, I'm the artist and I'm getting something out of it and then um, my, my, almost like my soul just opened up and I was like you know what now is the time to share this with the world and so people can have another experience so they can be, begin to investigate some of those unanswered questions you know because I think art is about that it's about it's about um, exploring ourselves and exploring our, who we are as human beings and it's, it's about humanity um, and so um yeah, it did change. You know, Initially, the short was about me um, exploring and telling the story that I wanted to tell for me and work through my, my stuff. But then as the project got more momentum and started traveling around the world and the more feedback I got from people, just random people, I get emails from people in Egypt and Ethiopia and in different countries um, relating, connecting to it. And so then I realized this is bigger, you know, and, and art is about... Um, Creating something bigger to you know to share that story with the world.
0: So okay, you've <laughs> created, I'm going to call it a conversation piece, a, a, a space where people whose stories aren't frequently told kind of get to explore and and retell their stories through your story because now they're connecting it with their families and friends. And I'm sure sharing that you have to see this thing because it, it's like what we went through. Mm-hmm. Now that you're kind of starting to have that impact, and as you move into your feature version of it, what is your headspace like? Because you you captured it with kind of a kid and a grandma, and I feel like those are very eternal. And now you're going into much mm-hmm. broader themes, and it's it's pre-production, which for me is always a fuzzy, crazy space of like all of the possibilities and trying to remember the reality of money. Oh, like, gosh, there's so yeah. many things we could do, but we have to pick one and and just go. Yeah. So. That's kind of not a very good question, Joel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, You're setting me up your,
1: nicely. You're setting me up nicely.
0: Yeah, what's, what's your headspace like, in, and how are you feeling heading into production, I guess?
1: Um, I must say, this is probably one of the most challenging things I've ever taken on in yeah. my life, like doing, doing your, your first feature, and it is my first feature. And, you know, I feel like I've been talking about it for a long time, and I've been preparing for <laughs> a long time, because I believe it's that important to me. You yeah. know, I, I really, I'm a huge fan of Barry Jenkins, who you know did Moonlight and, and won the Oscar for Moonlight and you know he made his first film Medicine for Melancholy, um, I'm forgetting the year like eight years back ago in the day. back in a day yeah. sort of his first film and it did well it was a beautiful film if you haven't seen it Medicine, Medicine Melancholy, check it out um, and it took him eight years mm-hmm. six plus eight years to work on his. Second feature mm-hmm. because he wanted to take the time to like cultivate that story and you know, and and, 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 and take the space to know your beats and know your motif, you, you know, paid off all your so stuff. And it pays off.
0: Because if you guys don't know, if, you, if you've seen one you don't know, the third act essentially was written by Barry Jenkins. He got the play, he read it, he loved it because it was great, mm-hmm, but he yes. knew that it needed uh, it wasn't quite finished, and so he wrote this, third, this beautiful third act uh, that kind of uplifts and brings everything together and like the payoff is eight years but that end result can't be denied so i I hear what you're saying you want to be like look i only have one chance really to tell this story you know you don't want to be rehashing the same things over and over again and so i totally understand why i'm I'm
1: in a barry jenkins space where i'm just sort (laughs) of like i'm sort of like okay i'm gonna wait and do it right and so because and you know fun in reality of being in production as a filmmaker is funding you know trying to get funding together getting cast together um so we're doing all of that, um and then reworking the story, you know. One thing I did that I'm really proud of um recently, we I had a table read. So I casted oh, wow. a bunch of actors, um, and we read the script and I, I was able to hear it out loud. And I really recommend that for filmmakers. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were sort of like, Oh, you had a table read. That's people don't do that often, but I think it's the best thing because you really get to um uh hear the characters and hear the story and it, it helps formulate your visuals as a director and you know I think of filmmaking as a craft it's not like let's just get it done so I'm taking all the steps I'm writing the script pre-production you know now we're in, in, in a pre-production and, and preparing um, you know with casting and and getting my crew together we're doing location scouting soon in Guyana so it's, it's just a whirlwind it's really it's going really fast and slow at the same time um but I'm I'm really excited I'm guided by something greater I think uh, I think my, my grandfather my ancestors are just like you got to tell this story you got to do it yes. right um, which 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 years ago that was like a pressure it was like a mm. burden like I have to make sure everybody's happy and the film is great but I think now it's more about um, just telling the truth um, as I know it for that for the characters um, in the film
0: I was gonna ask you because because it, it is such a personal story and you are taking over a lot of the main jobs on the film and I I always feel that it's important that I at some point hand my story over to someone because I I need second eyes. I need somebody who's like girl no one's gonna know where your head space is here. Like come come back this way so that Mm -hmm. your thoughts are properly
1: communicated. Uh,
0: Do you at any point give up your story or are you just like no I'm not you girl I got it. (laughs) Uh, No I
1: share I share no I think filmmaking is very collaborative to me. Extremely collaborative and I think even though it's sort of my story you know When I was doing the writing process, I had five of this feature. I had five um, readers. So I would write, you know, the first, you know, 30 pages. And I had five people giving me notes. And first draft of the the film. I would get notes. And I would sit and with them. And I trusted these people. You know, I trusted them um, uh, for their storytelling abilities and their past work. And so I was able to look at their notes and sort of like... um, spend time with them and think about what what do I want to do because I think they represented different voices so I collaborate on that aspect I'm, I'm open with, with that you know process and I think as a filmmaker it's really important to be open to hear um, feedback and notes especially if, if it's your story because mm-hmm. you could be in your own head and you think it's the bomb and it's amazing <laughs> and then it's like wait but you forgot about this whole it's easy to be distracted scene.
0: you end up in the post and they're like so how do we get from this scene to this scene I don't know. <laughs> we we yeah. did not get there in the production process. Yes, or you could
1: forget about voices. You know, and like mm. I'm I'm all about I'm all about being inclusive and in in filmmaking. There's a whole lot of conversation right now yeah. in Hollywood about diversity and being inclusive. Mm-hmm. And I think that even in my script, I realized that I was um, forgetting some textures of the female characters mm. and of our our Indo-Guyanese characters. And I was reminded by that by notes from the people that I had read yes. with me. And so I was able to go back and do the research and get the work done, you know, to get, to be more inclusive. I
0: really appreciate that conversation. Well, seriously, cause a lot of people, you know, we ain't got to call nobody out on the show, but we've, to call out? but we've certainly, but we've certainly seen people recently in the news who were like, you know, I didn't have, I don't know how to tell these stories. So I just didn't, I don't have space for these stories. So I'm not going to, um, <laughs> Which always confuses me, because if the people were there, then their stories were happening. And we've seen hundreds of really solid films that tell congruent stories without pulling focus from your main narrative. So I don't know if I necessarily buy that. And it's really refreshing to hear a director or, or anyone in the filmmaking process say, I was out of my depth, so I had to reach out and make sure that I was giving the fullness that the story required, so I could tell the best possible story. How... I don't want to ask that.
1: Uh oh.
0: Well, no, it's 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 not it's not problematic or or messy at all. <laughs> um, but like how, when you're when you're getting these notes, I know that sometimes it can be hard to hear or take notes or. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know, you know, it's because both from the creative perspective, but also as a teacher, you're constantly right. giving out notes and things, and especially for I think early filmmakers, mm-hmm. how do you tell the difference between a note that is good? and and maybe just isn't right for your story versus a note that is bad and something that you right, don't want to use at right. all well, how do you make these choices of like which ones to implement and which ones to exclude
1: that's a great question so as as a as a professor i, I um i have this conversation with students all the time and um and i think sometimes when you're younger it's might be challenging to you know take in notes and feedback and you and you Sort of take it personally and think that this person is trying to mess me up. Whatever. Mm. Here's what I think. Well, when I when I talk about notes, I think that if you're writing a script or you're you, you create some kind of work, right? You as the as the auteur, the artist, must know what your meta, your overall sort of goal is, or you know what, you, what, you, what, you, what story you're trying to tell. That's yeah. the meta, right? And then if someone is giving you notes, they're giving you about your story. You just have to check in with, well, I'm trying to tell this story, how does that note relate to what mm. they're saying, right? And then you create like a third space and try to see if you can answer that Infuse honestly. use yeah. them, right? But I think what people do is that they feel like I'm getting a note and it's not what I want to do and it's going to sway my story. <laughs> so the important thing is knowing your story and knowing mm-hmm. your characters and then you can filter those notes, right? And filter w- what they're saying. And, and, and the, the the main thing, don't take it personally. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's it, you think that, you hope that it is for the ultimate good of the story to make it more yeah. universal. So, you know, you can always try the note. You can always discard the note. But it's important to be open and receptive of notes.
0: Definitely. <laughs> oh, man. I feel like we have time for one more question. I want to okay. make it a good one.
1: Make it a good one. <laughs> No pressure
0: there. No gossip. I don't. I don't do
1: gossip. No, <laughs> nothing gossip.
0: Um. Okay. Here you go. I want to know how you go about curating teams. I know some members of your team are old friends, are people that you've worked with consistently. Mm-hmm. But how do, how do you, the director, go about curating and developing like a sense of team spirit on set?
1: Um, well, first of all, I, I think that when 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 you're putting together a creative team for a film Mm -hmm. um, or you're hiring crew or producer, you have to, because we're human beings, you have to consider the person's um, technical proficiency, whatever it is, if they're production designer or or DP, know that they're good at what they're doing. But I think it's also important to understand the kind of person they are, Mm -hmm. to get to know, even your actors, to know what kind of people they are because you're going to be spending a lot of time together in small spaces, filming. So um, I really try to, like I'm dealing with that now, like meet with people and um, for my main crew and I think it's about having an organic connection and trying to make sure that you see each- you see the story in a similar plane or in a way that you can complement each other to make it amazing, right? Yeah. So I think it starts with the hiring process and building your team. Um, and then so when you're on set, you all have this... Sh- a shared vision, the, the, the same goal, which is ultimately making a, an amazing story. You know, so I think that's sort of the process, like f- like finding out the um the the sort of humanity, the intentions of the people that who are going to be making this thing because you're all creating it together. So Absolutely. that's how I, I love go about that.
0: it. <laughs> Mason, this has been so much fun. I feel like I've learned so much about you and your artistic <laughs> expressions and. <laughs> and how you make films I, I know you're about to be in production for this film and that's probably your main focus but is there anything coming up or anything like anyone you're looking out for if they want to follow your work
1: Yes well first of all thanks for having me it was great to talk Absolutely. to you on this in a different you know It's a very different the aspect cameras how are, are here really? there's all these people, there's a big audience and <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little camera shy. But it was good it's good to have a conversation to you. So I'll come back if you want me to come yes, back. Please. But um but really quickly, I, I you know, I really encourage people to check out the short. Um I have people um writing me and, and people asking my students asking where can I see your short? I've um you can watch it online, the Seawall short film online at AnansiStudios.com. Studios dot com.
0: Nice. So if non- you're watching C- American Gods, you already know the spelling. It together, there you go.
1: <laughs> and just click the seawall. Um, the seawall film by Mason Richards, and you can watch it for the price of a cup of coffee. Nice. I'll say that much. Um, but what I'm also working on, I have my own uh, production company that I started while I was at, at film school. And, um, I, I. Uh, produce many documentaries to not for profits. Um, I'm also uh, working on doing some branded content for different clients. Um, so I, I, I do that as well. I'm also developing a couple of TV pilots. I have some ideas, mainly again with stuff that's connected to me, like to Brooklyn. I have a film uh, series about gentrification. Um, and uh, I have a couple things in the works uh, that I hope to you know, do as well. But check out the Seawall Short. And I um, hope people stay with me for the journey um, yes. as you make the feature. And uh, we're on Facebook as well. Seawall Feature Film um, on Facebook.
0: Go follow Mason. Follow Seawall. Yeah. Check out these films. Uh, we what about we...
1: Instagram? People do that? Insta- people I'm, do the Instagram? I am, heck yeah. I'm so not in tune with the social media. But <laughs> I, I am Mason Richards. Um, that's my handle, title, what is it, <laughs> on Instagram. And there's some cool photos up there I put out in my travel, so you can check that out.
0: I'm trying to see if I can tell you guys quickly who next week's guest is. What is, it? is it next week the 6th? No. It's the 28th. Next
1: week is, yes.
0: I don't remember. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> you guys can come back here next week anyway, because we're going have another great filmmaker here to talk to you guys about their process, about new technologies about how we're pushing forward thank you once again to mason richards for being here and, and sharing all of your wonderful wealth of knowledge and your original stories is really fascinating to talk to you um we'll be back here next week at four o'clock all right Hope to see you here
1: Great. thank you bye from producers maria menounos kevin undergaro phil svitek and the entire popcorn talk network we would like to thank you for tuning in for questions or comments be sure to visit popcorntalk.com.